Before I get started on today's Mortcast, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th in Blinkenwazee, in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. Uh, if you're down uh, for an evening, uh, maybe weekend, weeknight, doesn't matter, and you're maybe at Milk Market or any other restaurant um, like Ruth's Chris or or you're at you know another restaurant in lower downtown, maybe even at Union Station, you know, just... Take a, when you're done with your meal, go right up to, to the dairy block, and right in the middle, you go to Blanchard Family Wines, and uh, that would be great for summer, too. You know, just stroll down. Uh, you're having a nice lower downtown evening, enjoying some restaurants. Come on into Blanchard Family Wines and enjoy some wine as a, as, as a, as a nice nightcap to a good evening out. Uh, they have their own vineyards in Sonoma County, California, which, you know, obviously, you know, specializes in Pinot Noir. Um, they've got every sort of wine that you can think of, uh, the whites, Rieslings, blends, uh, even wine cocktails. They also have a partnership with a local Grand Junction uh, wine, uh, which is really, really good. I had that. And uh, that so they can get a, like not only a taste of California vineyards, but of Colorado without you know having to drive 250 miles to Grand Junction. Uh, ideal. It really is ideal. Um, the staff is knowledgeable. I'm uh, once again. I'm taking some friend uh, a friend down just to experience it again. Uh, it's great, great time with great people and a knowledgeable staff in a gr- tremendous atmosphere. Um, once again, they are on Facebook and Instagram, and they are located between 18th and 19th in Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right smack dab in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you. What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Today is an odds and ends episode. Um, we really... Um, this the, I, I had a bunch of thoughts, and rather than me trying to expand them into individual episodes, uh, specifically about the Nuggets, and I'll throw in one about the Rockies at the end of this podcast, but, you know, in all honesty, we're, we're sitting back, and I'm, I was thinking about, oh, how can I expand out this idea? How can I make this one bigger? Rather than doing that, I'm just going to go say that we need to uh, talk about just little individual vignettes of what's going on with the Denver Nuggets right now. Uh, I'm going to start off with Jamal Murray's ankle injury, um, and that's something to watch. And that's mostly because Jamal is your your guard that not only st- is with the starting unit, but he's the versatile enough where you could put him into playing with the second unit. Um, the Nuggets' depth obviously is what it is. Their backup point guard is Monte Morris, and then the one behind him is PJ Dozier. Uh, as good of job as PJ Dozier did, PJ Dozier did against the Hornets. I don't know if that is sustainable. Um, and you know, you saw that reflected in the minutes that he got uh, when the Nuggets played the Warriors. And in fact, you could definitely see Jamal's absence, um, let alone Gary Harris and Paul Millsap when the uh, the Nuggets entered into the, uh, the Warriors game and really struggled for three quarters. It's it's different when you're missing your point guard in the modern NBA, and uh, it's going to take the Nuggets a while to adjust. And hopefully, hopefully, Jamal's not out for an extended period of time. There are many people in this town who would think that no, the Nuggets are going to be just fine. Um, and due to their depth, they may be they're probably going to be able to survive this, but it's not sustainable. 
Uh, it's not something that you want over a very long period of time. Someone who's as good as Jamal, there's a reason he got the contract he did. Um, you just don't want that to happen. You don't want it to uh, that to affect. And plus, it takes a while to get back from an ankle ankle injury. Uh, those are things that linger. It's kind of like a, a hamstring. I remember Aaron Aflalo years ago. I think it was the 2011, or maybe it was the 2012 playoffs going into it, had a, a hamstring injury that he just could not, could not get rid of. It lingered and lingered and lingered. Well, angles tend to do the same thing. It just you They take the time they take to heal, and you got to make sure they're absolutely 100% healed. And it takes a while to be okay on that ankle. So I, I, I would expect Jamal to be out for an, a, uh, a while. Maybe, maybe not an extended period of time, but good enough to miss some games. Um, and it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, what the Nuggets did in compensating was have Will Barton run a tremendous amount of point guard. Now, uh, people have accused me of being a Will Barton hater. I'm not. Uh, Will Barton is a really... What I would say, perfect, absolutely perfect sixth man. Um, He is that guy that you could bring in off the bench and just provide that particular spark, and then you could put him in with the the starting unit at times and all that stuff. But Will Burton in a massive, massive role is not the thing you want. Okay, I'm going to say this again, and people think I'm slagging players when I make this comparison, but it's... I developed the, this principle 10, no, not even that long ago, maybe seven, eight years ago um, when the Nuggets uh, acquired Anthony Randolph. And it's called the Anthony Randolph Principle, which it basically means if there's a player, that there's that kind of player who, who, you, who, is your, who ends up being a leading scorer in a game, uh, generally that means something has gone wrong, Okay. Uh, if he is, I mean, if for Anthony Randolph, it's like there were some games where he was the leading scorer and the Nuggets lost, and uh, it was reflected in why. You know, it's, it's not always a one-for-one correlation, but it's generally if a, if a player at that status has that many points, it means everything else went wrong. Now, uh, Will Barton did step up in a really bad situation uh, with Jamal out, and was able to run, quote-unquote, point guard. And uh, just basically a lot of it with the Nuggets, what they do is just bring the ball up and then let Jokic do his thing. Um, I think that that is different in this case for the Nuggets, but you don't want a situation where Will Barton is your leading scorer a lot. Um, It's just not – it means that Jokic isn't doing his thing and uh, other things went wrong. Now, with Millsap and Gary Harris and Jamal Murray um, down, that may not, you're, you're going to definitely need Will Barton to step up big time. Uh, but the player, actually, you need to look to is not that. It is Michael Porter Jr., or as he prefers to be called, Mike. Mike Porter Jr., MPJ, MPA, as I call him. Um, let's be frank here. The Nuggets looked dead in the water until Michael Porter Jr. went on one of his scoring streaks, and that really kind of changed things. And he and he showed a playmaking ability that we uh, really hadn't been exposed to much. I mean, we've seen it a little. We knew he could rebound, but uh, the playmaking thing, he had some great and nifty interior passes to Mason Plumlee and Nikola Jokic in the game against the Warriors that really kind of saved the Nuggets' bacon. 
Uh, that this team was heading for a defeat, and he came in and he did, went on one of his like quick scoring streaks, couple three pointers, and a uh, couple layups, and it was just it was it was it was one of those things where you're like only he could do this. Will Barton can't do this. I mean, even I mean Jamal maybe, but uh, it was just it was such a dynamic way. But his ability to pass and do all of that was really, really a, a revelation. And it leads me to something that I think is reflective of um, the way Malone coaches and why he struggles with Michael Porter Jr. And it took me a while to come to this conclusion, but there was some breakdowns from people uh, in Nuggets media about the, quote, plays that they run for, for um, the plays they run for um, Michael Porter Jr. And there's only one where he just, Jokic is at the, uh, near the high elbow and uh, Porter cuts and gets them the ball and inevitably it's either a dunk or a layup. But that's, that's... We get we get obsessed with plays. Uh, we need to move out of that and think of a different way. When you look at MPJ and you see how he plays, how he affects the game is completely different to every player on this Nuggets roster. It's, there's not a player who touches the game similarly to him. Um, and he can only do it in his particular way. Um and it's in a such a dynamic way that you think, okay, this is a guy who needs to be able to just improvise and create. You know, George Carl, when he was here, was famous for never running set plays, which is the other extreme for Michael Malone. Michael Malone likes to call a lot of plays. Uh, it's it's typically coaches who fancy themselves defensive coaches uh, like calling plays. Um, it's a... It's a way to control the thing, make it uh, where you hopefully limit turnovers, all this stuff. That's one of the reasons why the Nuggets aren't exactly the fastest team in the league. Um, there's not a lot of pace to what they do, mostly because they run plays. Um, there's George Carl, who never ran plays. And he his philosophy was there's flow. And he said he didn't want to ever damage the flow of a basketball game. He was very much one of those coaches. Uh, Doug Moe was like that, but Doug, uh, the, the Nuggets had a set offense, which was, uh, pass till you get the open shot. Um, it wasn't set. It was just pass till you get the shot. Uh, it's kind of in the spirit of the Dean Smith offense at North Carolina. And you could see that reflected in the coaching tree that has gone through the Nuggets. Well, Michael Malone's different. Obviously he wants set plays, setting up, you know, let this thing run, go through the machinations and get whatever you're going to get. Uh, Michael, Michael Port, Mike Porter Jr. is a little different. Um, he's a guy that can create on his own. Now, uh, in the 90s and into the early 2000s, isolation basketball got a little ridiculous. Um, head spearheaded by Allen Iverson. Um, and and I, AI was a marvel to watch of individual basketball. But it's not really conducive to team basketball, clearly. And um, the NBA was kind of plagued by that uh, by the time 2003 rolled around, basically. Um, and it kind of shifted away from that, but you, you still need isolation. I mean, James Harden isolates all the time. Isolation basketball is still needed. 
um, and it's an invaluable part of any sort of team. And in fact, as I said in an earlier podcast from a couple of months ago, one of the Nuggets' biggest problems is that they're such a controlled team that you need people who can create by themselves. Um, it, it's hard to sustain a structured offense at all times. And what helps your team is, is the t- player that can create in a dynamic way. And people have been extremely concerned about you know, running plays for Michael Porter, Mike Porter Jr. I'll be honest with you, I don't care. Uh, he is so dynamic and can create so quickly. His burst, his burst just getting off his fe- from his feet to the basket is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And he is so long that it just, like, his shot doesn't get affected like that. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And if the Nuggets are going to incorporate Mike, Mike Porter Jr. In, into it and uh, MPJ make his way through this offense, they've got to stop this obsession with set plays. And when he's out there, invariably let him create as much as he can. Um, incorporate him into the offense. I mean, kind of give him a spot up and all that stuff. Uh, run that quote one play that you do, but let him create. Let him be a guy that gets you that offense because one of the Nuggets' big issues through this year has been due to their pace, they don't give themselves a lot of breaks. Uh, they don't get easy baskets. They increase their pace a bit oh, about a month ago, and people were hand wringing about the defense, which is. Stop listening. Stop. Just, just stop. Stop. I don't want to hear it anymore. The whining about the defense is just is, is in, insane. The Nuggets were, they were whining about the defense, and it was, the Nuggets were 10-3 and three at one point through a streak. And it was, it was mind-boggling to me. It's just, just don't worry about it. It's the regular season. The times that you, you need to be timely with your defense, and you need to have good discipline, but that's it. All right? The rest of it kind of comes. The rest of it kind of comes to you as the game goes. I've watched basketball for over 30 years. Even Michael Malone knows this. Uh, It goes in waves. And people catch up to you. You adjust. People catch up to you. You adjust. Just stop. Um, The Nuggets shouldn't even worry about defense with uh, the Michael Porter Jr. thing. He's that good. Which leads me to one last final Nuggets point before I move on to the Rockies. I don't want to see Tory Craig getting substantial minutes over Mike Porter Jr. I, I just don't want to see it. Um, I have had, I, watching that game, Jokic had a bunch of turnovers in the first half. A lot of it was because the Nuggets invariably play four-on-five offense when Tory Craig is out there. Uh, I like Tory. Um, and I think situationally he's really good, but I think as a, a heavy minutes person outside of the playoffs, where once again that was a matchup based thing, but you can't extrapolate the playoffs to the regular season. In the regular season, he's really very much a matchup based person. I would hope that if the Nuggets are going to use him and continue to use him in the starting lineup, they do the Dante Jones thing, where he plays about six minutes to start every half. To set the tone, because because that's what uh, George Carl did with Dante Jones, and it worked absolutely perfectly. It was perfect. Um, 
the Nuggets uh, right now are struggling when Torrey is out there, particularly on offense. And it's it's one of those things where you like you look at it, and I think it's obvious. In the 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 lineup should be adjusted quicker. I'm going to concede to Michael Malone that he that that Tory Craig will be starting if he's just got it in his head. But use him in the Dante Jones way. Reduce those minutes. Like he played 17 minutes the last game. Reduce that to maybe 12 to 15 minutes. Bring Mike Mike Porter Jr. in there quicker. I'll bring Juancho Hernandez in there quicker. Get those tall wings in there who can cover a lot of space with uh, the likes of Jeremy Grant. Um, and use that to your advantage uh, because Tory is good against certain players, not so good against others. He's not a one-size-fits-all. He's not a uh, Jared Allen. Uh, not Jared Allen. Uh, Tony Allen. Why did I say Jared? <laughs> He's not a Tony Allen. He's not a utility, uh, every good against defense against every player guy. He is he is who he is. He's great in certain matchups, not so great against others. Use it that way. Um, and you know, if you're going, like I said, if you're going to start him, if you're going to play him, reduce those minutes. Give those minutes to Mike Porter Jr. Because, as I was saying before, you need a guy who can create. Don't drop plays for him. Just be able to be that guy. Let him be himself. Because when he plays with freedom, uh, this Nuggets team is just looks damn impressive. And through the end of the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, into overtime against the uh, uh, Golden State Warriors, that Nuggets team, a very injured Nuggets team, showed a showed a level of dynamism that I had not seen before. All right, that's the last on the Nuggets stuff. Just going to add some stuff on Major League Baseball and the Rockies. Uh, Major League Baseball almost looks like it's falling apart at the seams. Um, I have not seen a cheating scandal like this since the. Uh, NBA betting scandal in 2007 with Tim Donaghy, who is a former podcast uh, guest, Tim, Tim Donaghy. Uh, and I, and this is coinciding with the Nuggets, excuse me, the Rockies, and their difficulties with um, Nolan Arenado and not paying players and taking tor- uh, uh uh, Trevor Story to arbitration over seven hundred and fifty thousand um, dollars. It is a it is it is not a good look for the for Major League Baseball. Um, and someone had made the point that you know baseball th- has thrived for years on cheating, which is a, an interesting way of saying things. But yeah, you're in in, in, a, in an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah, it's it's like baseball has been around so long. The the stories of well, of course, everyone points to the Black Sox scandal. You know, Pete Rose, um, was it Carlton? Not Carlton Fisk, uh, the guy who put the, the 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 stuff on the on the baseball, the pitcher. It, it was just it, it was a lot of things that um, happened. I mean, it's like the pine tar incident with George Brett. Um, there's just have been that through the years, and it's been largely celebrated. It's kind of like the NFL with like the the hits where you could tell someone got a concussion. Like it's 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 akin to that, and I think 
where baseball is struggling right now is the fact that their average audience is, oh, I would say 45 and up. And you, when you struggle to bring in younger audiences, because it, let's face it, it's slow. Uh, the summer is not really the time that people concentrate on sports. Um, it is it is by itself in a good stretch of like four or five months period where they are the only game in town. And it is very, it's hard to translate because because a lot of casual people go to it, but you're not even sure, particularly with the Rockies, you're not even sure that they're watching a game. Uh, I've been to many Rockies games. I know what I'm talking about. Uh, it just kind of reminds me of the Nuggets from about four years ago where you would just people would sit there and look at their phones the entire time. It's extremely frustrating, but it is what it is. Um, now you got the Rockies with their issues, and it like it turns people off of baseball. And I think that, I think, from someone who is a fan but not a hard hardcore fan, the only thing I could think is to say, own up to your mistakes. And this applies to the Colorado Rockies. Own up to your mistakes. Be transparent. As I said in the last in the podcast I did on the Rockies a while back, um, this team is aloof and they don't communicate. And they don't communicate their plan and they're not up front with fans. And it leads to this. And it is very, very frustrating. Well, look at Major League Baseball. They weren't up front about the cheating thing. Uh, looks and then more shit came out after they had levied the penalties. Just communicate with people. Be up front with people. One of the things that Tim Connolly is great at is communicating. And communication doesn't lead to communication breakdown. And you would hope that baseball would learn from this. But this is a, this is a 150-year-old sport. I don't have hold out a lot of hope that that will happen. Thank you again for joining me on Mortcast. I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.